G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Over the past couple of years, a significant documentary has been in production and now is ready for release. It focuses on some of those events from history that have become ammunition for critics of the church, Uh, issues like the Crusades and the Inquisitions, witch trials, the oppression of women and the horrific incidents of child abuse and cover-ups in the institutional church. Well, some of the well-known identities from the Centre for Public Christianity have been tracking down the world's experts for their insights into the good, the bad and the ugly sides of Christianity. Now, the documentary is called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. This new documentary is going to be in cinemas from the 9th of May. Simon Smart is Executive Director of the Centre for uh, Public Christianity and uh, our guest uh, over this next hour will open our talkback lines 1-800-316-316. Uh, you could leave a comment or a question on Facebook. That's just uh, simply facebook.com forward slash vision radio. But a special welcome back to 2020 to you, Simon Smart. Thanks a lot, Neil. Nice to be with you. Simon, let me just say, as we get our conversation underway, uh, honour to you and the team at the Centre for Public Christianity, because this is an ambitious project. Uh, I imagine it's not a small budget project either, and and you've gone to a great lot of effort, and it's been years in the process of making. It's about to come to fruition, but special honour to you, because uh, this is the sort of ambitious project, I think, uh, that Christian believers will really rise to. What are your thoughts on on the process and the journey so far? Yeah, thanks a lot, Neil. It's been, been a real journey. It has, uh, and you're right, it's an ambitious project. Perhaps some people might think we're mad taking it on. It was a, it's a vast uh, subject, of course. And so it has been years in the making. It's taken us at least three years to get to this point. Uh, it's not the only thing we do, of course, so we've kept our other work going and but it has added a lot, and, and look, it's been a fascinating journey. We're, we're glad we took it on, and we're excited about the, the prospects of this project coming to fruition. Well, if I was encapsulating some of the travels that you and the team have been going on, uh, just picking up some of the detail about the documentary, from the Holy Land to the sea cliffs of Molokai, Hawaii, from the streets of Calcutta to Flossenburg Concentration Camp, uh, got John Dixon, Simon Smart, Justine Toe, tracing the w- the best and worst of what Christians have done in the world and weighing that against the teaching and the example of Jesus. It has been a lot of travelling involved, and no doubt uh, you've got so much material that uh, you've had to sort through all of that and just bring out the best parts. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, and I don't think anyone's feeling too sorry for us to do some of that travel. My wife certainly isn't. But it, uh, it, was, it was huge. It was a huge task. Um, we've got enormous amounts of material. 
material, but that's exciting because it's in lots of different formats too. This this project, so Neil, it will it, it does go to some really interesting locations first of on location shooting and t- telling stories, as well as going to really top experts in their field. We wanted to go to the best crusade scholar and the best Inquisition scholar and talk to people who who could really bring light to this this tricky, very complicated subject. And uh, yeah, so it's, look, it's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot there. It, it's in the, the first version that people will be able to see is a cinema cut, which is a 90-minute cut, but there's a lot more to come on, on digital uh, with four one-hour episodes and a whole lot of extra material coming. You know what I think people are going to be interested in and even excited about Simon Smart, and that is the fact that you're confronting the worst things uh, that Christians have done because there can be that impression when you go to church uh, that uh, the pastor, the preacher uh, up front uh, only wants to tell you the best things. But so when you bring out the worst things, clearly you've got to be a little bit cautious about that because you don't want to uh, really uh, you know, paint the church in such a bad light that that's the only thing people consider. But it is an important consideration, isn't it, to bring the worst things to light and say these are the worst things Christians have done and, uh, and, and trying to make some sense of the context of those. You're absolutely right, Neil. And we, we felt like we had to do that. We, we had to, to confront the worst of Christian history. Uh, one of the things that was interesting to us is, that, you know, as you know, we, we do lots for sort of mainstream media and uh, various public spaces. And we, we were discovering that whenever we were doing that, people would write in to us and say, yes, okay, maybe, but what about the Crusades? What about the witch trials, the Inquisitions, the support of slavery, the hoarding of wealth, the oppression of women? There's a long list that people were drawing on. And the thing is, we just had to look at the list and say, look, it's a valid list. It's a true list. There's an awful lot of truth to what's being said there. And so we thought to have any kind of um, integrity, we had to, to face that and to tell, tell those stories. There's, a, there's a, a more complicated story, though, than is often uh, given to people. And we wanted to clarify some of those things as well. But, yeah, we weren't hiding from the, from the difficult parts. So you've got the worst things that Christians have done. And, of course, if you've got a 2,000-year history, there's a lot of baggage in there. And you've gone and spoken to the experts. Uh, you no doubt will bring, obviously, uh, you know, the best things to the documentary as well. When we talk about the best things, uh, we hope uh, that as Christians, the best things outweigh the worst and I, I'm, I'm suspecting and uh, predicting that that's what uh, will happen in the, uh, you know, the conclusion of the documentary. Although I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, sort of say to listeners, uh, you know, we all know, we know what the outcome's going to be, don't we? But there is something special in there, isn't there? That when you contrast the worst with the best, somehow or other, you're expecting to see the best uh, outweigh the worst. Well. This is a really interesting point, Neil, because what, what we didn't do was try to put it kind of in, a, in, the, in the scales and sort of has it been slightly better than, than worse. Uh, we didn't think that was quite, quite the right approach because these are terribly difficult things to measure, of course, and, and what some people would place on one thing, you know, others might put more weight on something else. More than that, though, we wanted to just say, look, there's been good and bad 
all the way through. Really bad, but also really good. There's a very good story to tell right from the beginning that goes right through to today. And we, we hope we kind of buy a bit of permission in a way to tell that story. But the, but the ultimate goal is to push people back to the founder, push people back to Jesus and say, well, what was he like? What was he on about? Um, and to, to measure or at least kind of con- compare the way that Christians have attempted to follow him with what he actually was like. And so it, when we do that, we felt like it's quite obvious when you do that to see when people are actually following the one who said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, for example, um, and when they're not. And so that was a really key part of the documentary to kind of con- think about Christian history in light of the founder and to, in a way, highlight who he was and what he was about. Uh, let's just dwell on that for a few moments because I'm not sure whether every listener will have picked up just how profound it is that you've taken that approach. Because when we talk about the founder of Christianity, we're talking about Jesus. And uh, when we talk about the incarnate Son of God, the perfect image of God, uh, then we have uh, someone who is unmovable, unchanging, and in a historic account of his life as a reflection of God the Father. And when things that happen that are good or things that happen are bad, uh, we can actually judge whether they are good or bad according to coming back to the founder. Reflect a few moments uh, with us here, Simon Smart, because uh, it is profound to trace everything back to Jesus and let him be the one who makes the judgment whether good things or bad things happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a um, really important point, we felt like. And it, we use a metaphor, perhaps I won't give it away here, but we use a metaphor all the way through this where you kind of measure the way Christians are behaving and seeing whether it's in harmony, let's just say that, whether it's in harmony with the person of Jesus and, and what he called people towards. And what we you know, what we kind of say is that he, Jesus addresses the world and he knows that his followers are going to be deeply flawed, uh, fragile, broken people who will, at their best moments, get it right, but also fail terribly along the way. So it's not not in any way a surprise, actually, to, to Christians when they look at Christian history to see these terrible uh, failures. But again, it's this sort of this trajectory or this, this, the gravity that, that Jesus calls people towards is a better version of themselves. We're trying to say when people have actually been able to do that, it's made the world a much better place, that there's been a public good in the way people, when they follow Jesus, in the way of Jesus, in the, in the spirit of him, it's made a profound difference to our world in a way that whether you're a believer or not, you can be glad of. Uh, just quickly, uh, we'll take a break in just a moment, but some of the experts that you got to talk to, uh, who of note uh, do you, uh, do you, comes to mind for you, uh, Simon Smart? Mm. Well, there's a lot of them. So we did over 50, we did about 55 interviews for this. Um, so there are heaps of them. They're, they're, all, they're all good in their own way. I was, uh, I did most of these. I was amazed at, I have to say, uh, a few of them, like Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, who was an incredible, uh, incredible mm. person in, in being able to address such a vast r- range of topics, 
with with beautifully articulate and concise answers. I mean, he draws on incredible knowledge. He, he was he was brilliant. We had uh, someone like Nick Spencer was fabulous, who's been in Australia recently. He was also very good. Oh, there were there were lots of them. Miroslav Volf, who's a theologian from Yale. Um, uh, you know, Marilyn Robinson, who's a bit of a, a favourite novelist of mine. Uh, it was fun to interview her too. There, there were so many, Neil. Um, and it was great. Not all of them were Christians. They were just experts. So some some were believers, some some weren't. And it was it was a great, I guess, great privilege actually to, to be able to sit with them and and draw on their expertise. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. Our talkback line open. You might have your own thoughts on how we talk about the church. Uh, In a good light, in a bad light, we're talking about a new documentary that is set for release in cinemas on the 9th of May. It's called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. Simon Smart, the Executive Director of the Centre for Public Christianity, is our guest. Simon, when I think of someone who might be selling a used car... Uh, they're not going to draw attention uh, to the buyer, to the dents, or the fact that it's been in an accident, uh, or that there are some imperfections in that used car if they want to sell the used car. And the idea of painting the church in a bad light, some might say, is a counterproductive thing if you're trying to talk about the message of the gospel. Uh, How do you see the way you're going to be presenting things in this documentary, uh, really, in some ways, as you say, not trying to put these in a a scales and balance the good and hope the good outweighs the bad, but uh, even just drawing attention to all of the bad things in the history of the church, how do you reflect on uh, on pl- painting the church in a bad light? Yes, and I, we're not. I mean, hopefully, not setting out. We're not certainly not setting out to do that. But but the reality is, Neil, that people know the history, or some some people know at least some of the history, and there just are the terrible chapters, and it just felt honest to us and. Uh, to have any sort of integrity in the way we would address and assess uh, Christian history, we, we felt like we had to to look at these bad things. I mean, there are some dreadful stories of violence, and you know, some of the people know about the Crusades, and and you know, that's a complex story. Uh, but but gosh, there are some dreadful moments in it where people claiming Christian faith. Uh, almost for practice on their way to the Crusades are slaughtering people along the way, various villages and towns. And it's just just a terrible part of the history, and, and it's so clear that when you compare that or, or reflect on that in light of what Jesus called people towards, it's, it's obvious that even though these people might have had a, had a faith, they, they certainly weren't, at least at that moment, living anywhere near uh, like that faith was calling them towards. So, yeah, we just we just felt it was a necessary part to to tell the truth, but also then, hopefully, to show, yeah, we're being honest about this, and therefore you might listen still when we tell the very, very powerful good story that's there as well. Staying on the bad stories for a little while longer, the idea that whenever there's a bad story, there's probably still two sides to a bad story, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the perceptions and maybe the historic 
realities and the way that people have actually settled on what the bad story is, whether there might actually be good stories or a, a balancing good. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of things like, uh, you know, the pursuit of a, a just war and perhaps even in the Crusades, uh, the Christian side, uh, even though they might be just under a banner of Christian, might be thinking that they were fighting a just war, but then uh, it results in atrocities. Uh, but there are sort of two sides to even bad stories. What are your thoughts? Well, there are, there are always two sides, and it's always more complex than we're led to believe in these kind of simplistic histories that we get. So we definitely do try to do that. So we try to address what sometimes are, on the surface, just very obviously terrible stories of Christians behaving badly. But then when we, when we delve a bit deeper, you often find that the popular version of that story is often either uh, too simplistic or sometimes completely wrong. Like there are ways we, too, we do also hope to correct uh, wrong perceptions of Christian history and then at least show the complexities of it to the degree that you can in a, in a documentary of this nature. So um, it's absolutely true, and there are kind of qualifying things that are worth mentioning as well. So I'll give you an example, Neil. So in the Inquisition, which for a long time... It's a terrible chapter of Christian history, actually, and we we don't you know, hide from that. But there's, there are sometimes popular perceptions of that that are just incorrect. So people have this sense of millions of people being killed in the Inquisition, and it's, it's wildly inaccurate. So over a 350-year period, there's something like 6,000 people killed. This, this is awful. Um, it's about 18 a year, I think it works out to be. Now, that's not to say any of that makes it any less terrible that anyone was killed for having a, a what would be considered incorrect theology. That's sort of a, bizarre, a bizarre thought to us today. But it is sometimes worth saying, well, it, it actually wasn't as, as colossal and as grand as people sometimes have been led to believe. We think that it's worth making that point. Mm. And there might be some thoughts from listeners. 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls. Steve is on the line from Geraldton in Western Australia. Hello, Steve. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. How are you going? Very well, Steve. What are your thoughts on our conversation today? Oh, I'd just like to take my hat off to Simon, congratulate him for being so bold and so courageous to go and do this. I think it's very important that uh, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike actually do know the truth about um, what's happened in the past and um, I'm a firm believer, you know, you learn from your mistakes and um, I'd just like to say well done. I'm looking forward to uh, going to see it and um, taking my perspective on what you've put together and um, just congratulations, mate. I think it's a God-blessing thing. I think the world needs to know that and, um, you know, like you said before, it's sometimes we hear too much about the good things that happen in church and, you know, there is bad and ugly sides and dark sides of it and I really think that people need to know that and uh, be educated about that so they get a better understanding of it um, God bless you and have a great day Your thoughts for Steve, thanks, Simon Steve. Uh, Steve, thanks a lot I appreciate the encouragement and I think you're absolutely right uh, We've got to be, if anything, Christian faith has to be real and there's no, whether it's a historical perspective or a contemporary perspective, you have to be real about where people are at, what the Christian community is like. You know, we, we're the people that turn up each week and confess that we fail and that we're broken people and we need redemption. And, th and that should be 
reflected in, in lots of things that we do. As we hope, we kind of are moving towards something better. But uh, it's certainly true of Christian history, and, and I appreciate Appreciate the encouragement, Steve. Thank you so much to Steve in Geraldton in WA. Let's take a call from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome back to 2020. Yes, hi. Welcome back too, Neil. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, look, uh, I've got a lot to say on this. I hope I can put it succinctly. But um, listen, we can listen to either God's word or we can hear also from ourselves, our flesh, the devil, and the world. And I just want to point out that from about the third or fourth century, the church was um, married to the world in a sense, and so that it became half godly, half um, pagan. And I would say that the real church, too, in, many, in most of those years, might have been underground as well, which I think is probably going to happen again. And I've heard a, pr- a preacher, a pro- sorry, a prophet recently say that God is separating the sheep from the goats. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. The goats don't. And so we've got religion, and a lot of it is pagan, unfortunately. So, um, But then there's the true word of God. And Isaiah in 55 is one, one scripture that says that God's word will always bear, bear fruit. It will not come back to him void. So it's not God that's at fault. It's um, we're, we're either getting our wires crossed or, you know, and so that, therefore our, our fruit reflects what we're hearing from. Comes to that point that uh, we are still sinful humanity. Uh, your thoughts for Robin, uh, Simon? Well, Robin points out a really interesting uh, moment in Christian history where Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. It's sort of brought into the power structures of the day and takes on a very different role than it had in previous centuries. And lots of people point out that that could have been a a pretty bad moment for Christianity in the sense that it gets corrupted by power from that time on. I think there's a lot in that. Again, I think it's more complex, though, because at, at another from another perspective, that did also allow for certain very significant Christian views of the world and humanity and our place in it to be given more um, power, if you like, or or impetus in, in the culture in a way that sort of slowly changes the culture, sometimes in very good directions. So it's very it's complicated, but but yet. Yeah, there's, a, there's, de- there's definitely a sense that you get from history that the closer Christianity gets to power, uh, the more likely it is to be corrupted and therefore start to lose its way. And um, we certainly have seen that from the time of Constantine onwards, for sure. Simon, let's talk about... We've been talking a lot of the negatives, but let's get on to perhaps some of the positives. Uh, don't want to just paint all the, the things of the church in a bad light, but uh, what well, do you think in the... Well, in, in all of the research that's been done, I think you mentioned uh, there's something like 55 experts that you've been interviewing around the world, and some of those experts, Christian, some of those not... But when you get all that research together, what emerges, uh, some of the greatest contributions, if you're identifying what the greatest contribution that Christianity might have made, uh, what do you say it is? Yeah, well, as you say, Neil, there is a very good story to tell when you look at Christian history. And uh, we do try to do that and uh, hopefully hopefully do it well and with with honesty and integrity. Uh, 
if I were to answer the question, the Christianity's greatest contribution to the world, uh, and I posed this question to a few of the experts too, I would have to come down on the value of the individual human being as the great gift of Christianity to the world. This was a revolution in the way that it introduced a sense of every person, irrespective of their status, of their wealth, of their gender, whether they were slave or free, whether they were uh, well or not, or whether they were able to contribute to society or not, that because they're made in the image of God, for that reason, it's a kind of a bestowed worth that's given to them, that because of that, every single life is precious. Now that... We, we take this for granted because we, because we live off, whether we're believers or not, we live off this legacy of a Christian way of thinking about the human person that is centuries old. And th- this is a key thing that was unthinkable in the ancient world. It really turns things upside down and makes enormous difference to a whole lot of things, especially over time. Uh, but this, this, I think, is the key one uh, in terms of, turning things around and in a way that in the ancient world this is a completely incoherent idea because in the ancient world you were valued according to things like status and wealth and power and ability to contribute. Christianity undermines that and uh, turns things upside down. Well, there are so many uh, issues and instances in history, and I've got a few of those come to mind, if you're talking about uh, slavery and uh, the value of human life, or if you're talking about uh, women and uh, equality. Uh, these sorts of things are interesting uh, issues that you can reflect on. And, and, of course, so many of the challenges that we have in today's society, uh, when we talk about euthanasia, when we talk about the issues to do with abortion, uh, these sorts, these all uh, are actually uh, uh, contributed to uh, by way of uh, the value of the individual human being. And you're saying, well, that comes from Christianity. That's why we can actually have confidence to be able to stand for the value of people, the value of hum- human beings. Exactly right. Uh, you get this from the, the Jewish world to begin with. So the, this idea of being made in God's image is fully present in, the, in the, the Jewish world that Christianity kind of then comes into. And it kind of turbocharges that idea by, by suggesting that God himself becomes a person. And that is an absolutely shocking thought, that God himself becomes a person and it's sort of a, I feel like the incarnation is a way of turbocharging this idea that was already present and then blasted out to the rest of the world. And so many things flow on from this. You might get to some of those in a moment. But you, you mentioned something there, two things there that I think are very interesting in terms of the documentary. Uh, slavery was one and the treatment of women. Both of those uh, subjects reflect both the church in its best and its worst life. So let's say slavery for a minute. Um, it's, it's true that uh, it took an awfully long time for that idea of everyone made in God's image to, to have any, make any sort of difference in the terms of the way people viewed slavery. So there's a long history of kind of shameful treatment of people by Christians uh, in this area. Until you get to some of the great 
uh, abolitionist movements that are driven entire, almost entirely by Christians who's, who took us a long time to get there, but they suddenly said, actually, these people are made, they're people made in God's image. We cannot treat them like this. And they were driven to fight against that. Uh, same thing with women. I think early on you get this incredible vision given to the world by Christianity of, the, of a radical mutuality between men and women in a, in a time of incredible patriarchy. And so there's a real challenge there. However, uh, as Christianity gets absorbed into the structures of power, I do think women get a, a pretty rough end of the stick, a rough time uh, even yeah. from Christianity. So it's a mixed history. But the underlying foundational ideas, every person made in the image of God, are uh, profound, and they do make a profound difference to the world, sometimes over a long period. Profound is the words when you say God himself becomes a person. And my, yep. my thought when you, when you describe that, Simon, is that God himself became a person and, and we killed him. Uh, there is this sense yep. of the sinfulness of humanity that takes the devaluing of a person to its extreme, and yet God allowed himself, uh, God surrendered himself to uh, to be the recipient of the worst of sinful humanity and allowed himself to be nailed under the cross. Uh, of course, uh, that, that he rose three days later, that is, uh, that is his... Uh, his empowerment over death. But this idea that God himself becomes a person, we killed him, he has shown to us the sinfulness of humanity and also given to us this this ability to seek redemption. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on just the significance of, of where Christianity actually has uh, God himself as a person? It's, a, it's an astonishing claim, isn't it? And this is why the gospel stories are just so compelling. Um, because they do, as you just rightly said, Neil, they kind of encapsulate so much of, of what it is to be human. And this, this uh, profound idea that humanity is both terribly fallen and in need of redemption, uh, and that, that redemption is possible. So within that story, you get all of that. Uh, you get the dreadful, violent, cruel selfish picture of what humans can do to someone. In this case, uh, the claim is God himself in human form. But then, and here's the, the great part of it, sort of overcoming that in order to establish something that's, that's possible and achievable, not through our own strength, but through, through God. And so it's a, it encapsulates sort of everything about almost Christian history in this little microcosm of the story of the failings, but also the beauty. And so you get Jesus' claim is fully human, showing what full humanity can be, and that can be beautiful. And so it then flows out of this story that you get both things. You get both the, the terrible bits, but you get the, the great stories too. And the, the, the ways when people have been able to emulate Christ and self-sacrificially care for other people, sometimes heroically, that's made the world a better place. I don't think that's controversial to say, and you get it all. You do get it all sort of encapsulated in that one story. So you have the value of the individual human being, and then that leads Simon to the idea of 
human rights based on that value. And I imagine that when you're talking about that concept, uh, you've got what has given rise to some of the biggest contributions of Christianity through the last 2,000 years. It's this development of human rights as a foundation. Yes, and we did. We look at human rights in, uh, briefly in this documentary. Where, where, it's, it's that's a complex area, and um, not everyone will agree with our assessment of this. But what we what we're trying to say is, at the very least, there's a kind of foundational principle that is established uh, a long time before anyone talked about in that sort of language, in rights language, but that it's an it's it's uh, a kind of essential piece in the puzzle as you work towards this idea of what human rights might look like and that it comes out of a story. We're trying to claim that it comes from somewhere, that Christianity is so foundational to this. And then you pose the question of, I wonder whether we can hold on to that, uh, what we now consider absolutely the right thing, and and we do do this properly, right? We should think of human rights as as an essential part of a civilised flourishing society uh, the question remains what what about the foundation and how important is that and how long can you hold on to it without the foundation so that, you know, that's a question for people to discuss um, but yep that's one of the areas there's plenty others though we could talk about Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson a biblical perspective on life culture and current events Simon Smart from the Centre for Public Christianity is our guest. Uh, Simon, a Facebook comment from Mike who says, Plenty of our science was achieved by Christians. Faraday, electricity, Copernicus, heliocentric planetary motion, Isaac Newton. Of course, uh, it is Christian uh, thought, Christian uh, appreciation of, uh, of even as we're talking about the value of the individual that uh, and the orderliness of the universe that's that's given us those things. Uh, your thoughts on uh, on some of those contributions, uh, as Mike has uh, noted. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mike. It's it's uh, frustrating sometimes to someone like me who we hear in the public now and then that you know Christianity is the enemy of science and and uh, science is showing we don't need religion this sort of stuff. I think. The history is really interesting because, and we don't deal with this actually in, in any great detail in the documentary, but I think it's very well established that the Christian worldview is essential in the birth of modern science. And there's lots of people uh, more expert in this area than me that will make that case. And I think they make it convincingly. So, yeah, I think um, the kind of rational intelligibility of the universe and the way in which Christians, uh, people who understood the world in those terms, thought that science made sense because of that, uh, is something that we shouldn't miss when we consider that impact over time. Simon, let me bring you to the idea of a uh, warts-and-all way that the the church has behaved in a good and a bad way over the past 2,000 years. And you did those... Uh, travels yourself you sat personally with a lot of the experts that will be seen in the documentary Uh, what sort of personal impact does it have on you when you start to explore these things did you come with your own preconceived ideas in some of those senses and and uh and you know did you grow and change as a result of some of these interviews that you've been doing i like to think so Uh, i i think i had a bit a pretty good sense of the terrible (laughs) <laughs> in history, I saw, uncovered some even more, I suppose, and, and you know they're, they're a bit depressing. But, but you know, overall, Neil, I would have to say I've been super encouraged to 
to just be exposed over such a long time to also the very good stories. And things like, a good example of this might be a charity. Now, we talked about human value, and something that flows out of that is the Christian view of what people are meant to do with those in need. And charity, again, a great gift of Christianity that wasn't present in the ancient world in anything like what you get by the early Christians, and this flows on right through to today. I think think the count is something like 23 of the top 25 uh, charities today in Australia are faith-based charities. So it's still the case that Christians, because of this vision of the world, are, are feeling drawn to be able to help those in need. So that, that was a really good one for me. Um, but but I, I suppose I was personally impacted as well by uh, stories like our, that of Albert J. Roberto, who is a, an expert we talked to about civil rights in America and about slavery. And he's an African-American academic. He had a very interesting personal story where his, his father, when he was still in his mother's uh, womb, his father was killed, murdered by a white man who was never charged for the crime. And just talking to Albert J. Robertow about that and the way he's come to a certain amount of peace over time uh, in relation to that and become someone who reflects the values of someone like Martin Luther King of, of non-violence and love of enemies. I found that really compelling, actually, and incredibly encouraging. And some of those uh, feelings, thoughts, uh, attitudes uh, will no doubt come through in the documentary. When uh, people are, uh, you know, listeners to our conversation today might be even making a note of the date, the 9th of May, to keep an eye out for this new documentary. Uh, What do you hope that it's going to achieve uh, when it hits the cinemas? Uh, And no doubt there'll be some broad uh, media exposure because it is a big and it's a significant project. Uh, What are you hoping that it will achieve? bunch of things, Neil. I would hope at the very least it'll be interesting and people will be thinking, well, this is important history and we need to sort of know, to know something of it. I hope people will um, be uh, exposed to the fact that there's, it's often a much more complex story than we're led to believe. So I think that would be, um, that would be a good outcome of this. I think we, if we can clarify some of the history and give a very clear uh, picture of it, and I'd, I would re- I'd really hope people come away with, yes, a sense that there have been some bad stuff. I think we're all aware of that. But, gee, there's a lot of good things I hadn't thought about perhaps before. I think there's terrible cultural amnesia in our, in our society where people don't know the gifts of Christianity to the world. I'd love it if people were more aware of those. And, and, and ultimately, it's kind of like highlighting the person of Jesus. Well, what was he like? What, what, what was he calling people towards? And is that a thing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I think I think if we're able to do that, that would be a, you know a worthy achievement. Now, Simon, the new documentary in cinemas from the 9th of May, and uh, I'm mindful of listeners who'll be listening to our conversation today that don't live in capital cities. Uh, mm-hmm. Some that don't live in uh, even uh, larger regional cities, uh, some that don't even live in uh, ordinary country towns, but very isolated, and no doubt they won't have the opportunity to see it in their local cinema. Uh, what are the opportunities that people will have, uh, whether in the cinema or those who are listening from isolated places today, where will they be able to see the documentary? 
Yeah, so there's good news here too, Neil. So uh, people will be able to see the documentary in, in a lot of the major centres, that's true, and you can uh, check the dates and the places for that on better and, and our website, betterandworse.film. That's betterandworse.film. You can check that out. Um, some uh, regional centres, though, will have the opportunity to host their own screening. So you, know, you could live, you know, you could live in Tamworth, for instance, and you could say, well, we're going to put it on. So you, you can do that through that website as well. There's an easy way to do this. If you can get enough people to go along, it will become an event. So there's that possibility. So you could go to a, an existing screening. You could organise to host one in, in, in your town. And the, then the other thing is, if you don't manage to do any of that, from July, so from the beginning of July, online will be uh, the four one-hour episodes that you can download and a whole host of other material. So online at that betterandworse.film site from, from the beginning of July, if you don't manage to get to the cinema cut, you can get to the rest, get access to the rest. So, you know, there's, I hope that means it'll get out to lots and lots of people. And for those who do live in the cities, uh, where can they find details of where there is going to be a cinema screening from the 9th of May? Yeah, again, it's, it's betterandworse.film is, is the place. Or Fanforce, which is the company that we're working through for the distribution, you can go to their website as well. So betterandworse.film will give you that, that access, uh, which will get you through to, to the Fanforce uh, site to be able to see where it is or perhaps you know, grab a few of your friends and host hosted in, the, in a cinema at, at your in your suburb or wherever you might be. And I think uh, that was good news, uh, suggesting that uh, for those who are listening in uh, some more isolated places, uh, you can create an event in your town and uh, simply right. go to betterandworse.film. Uh, there's also the FanForce website, uh, Google FanForce. Or you can go to publicchristianity.org. That's the website for the Centre for Public Christianity. It's publicchristianity.org. No doubt there'll be links on the publicchristianity.org website for uh, how you can uh, get in touch with uh, uh, with uh, all of the uh, the questions that you might have, some answers for those. Uh, 9th of May is the uh, the launch date. Simon Smart, our guest this hour. The documentary is called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. Simon Smart, always appreciate your insights and uh, it's been a long journey and I know this will be a real relief when it comes, but then that may be just the start of lots of great opportunities for you and uh, no doubt we'll be seeing your smiling face on screens and no doubt we'll talk again another day. Simon, thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks so much, Neil. It's great to chat to you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.